0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Kelly School of Business on the IUPUI campus. I'm Shane Simmons, and with me I have my good friend, Phil Powell, who's the Associate Dean of Academic Programs here at the Kelly School. Phil, how you doing? Shane, having a marvelously productive day here at the Kelly School. Well, that's what we love to hear because we're always talking to marvelously productive businesses here in the community. So that fits in great. Well, today, Phil, I want to start off the show by thanking all of the listeners out there. We are six episodes in of the ROI podcast, and we are very pleased with the feedback we've been getting from all of the listeners, so thank you very much for that. Now on to business. In the next several episodes, we're going to be talking about topics related to disruptive innovation in the marketplace, or those companies who are doing things differently from their competition. And what better way to start here in Indianapolis than in the tech industry? So check this out. According to recent research from Proxys Strategy Group, the tech industry is booming. No surprise there, right? Well, since 2006, the job count at tech companies is up 68%, and Indianapolis, Phil, is ranked fifth in growing tech
1: hubs. You know, Shane, a decade ago, The concept of a, quote, Indianapolis high-tech sector was a dream. But now it's real. The activity is absolutely impressive in this city. The growth is big. However, in order to feed that growth, you need talent. And every high-tech company I talk to, whether it's Indianapolis or around the country, talk about where can we find more skilled talent, Phil? We can't find it, even if we want to pay for it.
0: And Indianapolis is not immune to that issue. So we know tech companies are sprouting out here in Indianapolis and all across the country, so we went searching. Turn right onto West New York Street.
1: And tucked away on the north side of Indianapolis, we found a company disrupting the tech industry, a software development company who grew 300% last year. Jason. How's it going? Good. Phil Powell from the Kelley School. Jason Butler. But unlike many other companies in this thriving industry, they are not feeling the pain of a workforce shortage. In fact, they have plenty of resumes coming in on a daily basis. They have more talent to choose from than they know. This is because of their innovative business model. This is where the geniuses work.
2: Yes, this is where we put them all. Welcome to EduSource. So we're a custom software development company. Uh, we're primarily in the .NET framework, uh, a lot of web applications. We've done everything from um, clinical trial software, project management software, all the way to, uh, we have some firms that have um, Excel spreadsheets that they would like to get uh, online in
1: multi-user, uh, including a lot of uh, mobile applications as well. You notice right away a laid-back culture that's filled and brimming with creativity.
0: Wow, that's story.
1: <laughs> and the CEO, Jason Butler, knows how to keep his team loose, but motivated throughout the day, whether they are talking projects or Star Wars.
2: So May, May the 4th, Star Wars Day, was a, very, was a hit on
1: productivity. So, um, <laughs> but what sets EduSource apart from the masses and helps it escape the trap of workforce shortage is its EduSourcing business model. I think to explain
2: what source does, starting from the beginning is probably the best. I have about At the time I had about 15 years of software development experience. I had become a vice president of IT in, here locally in Indianapolis and I decided to start my own company. Uh, so I stepped out on my own and was just doing some independent consulting managing projects. Uh, at the same time I was asked to teach a class at a local university, uh, up at Taylor University actually. I was teaching their software engineering program for their sophomores. So I managed a local project that was both both being worked on internally and had to overseas uh, resources, about 15 of them from overseas, uh, both Eastern Europe and India.
1: Outsourcing is very common in the tech industry because talent is cheap.
2: I think that's one reason. Uh, I think the other is we always, most of IT doesn't, isn't willing to invest a year or two into the development and training process. They want the fix now. And so as a result, they look for companies that can offer that. But I'm finding that outsourcing doesn't often offer that experience uh, and so I think that's where we run into this this reason why we're, we're running overseas is because we're not bringing them up fast enough here uh, to keep up with the demand. I mean what the industry is growing at what 8 to 12
1: percent annually which is just crazy. Then one day the first signs of Edusource sprouted. So that was the aha moment the aha moment. One evening I
2: was sitting down and I was doing some code review over the code that I had received from uh, overseas. At the same time then later that evening I had to grade some pro- some programs for my students from the class that I was adjunct teaching. And um, I was surprised that the sophomore uh, quality, the code that I got from the sophomores in my university class was significantly better than the code that I was getting from overseas. Uh, and that's where the idea kind of came from.
1: The possibilities began running through Jason's mind. Uh,
2: So instead of saying, um, hey, let's outsource overseas, I thought, what if we edu-sourced to local university students? Uh, They're obviously very capable of doing this work. Uh, So that started the journey. Uh, So here we are now. Uh, See, it's been probably about six years, seven years since that time frame.
0: All right, Phil. So you went to edu-source. You checked it out. Let's get this straight here for a second. EduSource isn't outsourcing the talent overseas, but
1: instead to college students? Is, is this like an internship? You know, Shane, kind of, but it's more intense and for much longer than the traditional internship. Jason is really bringing the internship into the 21st century.
2: So the way we do this is we start off their sophomore year and the fall of their sophomore year we have an interview process. We're different from other, other groups around that would, that would teach you how to program. That's not what we're doing. We're teaching you how to build professional software. Um, so we do that through a mentorship model. So we put them through, a, it's about a three, four week interview process where we first go and we do a lot of recruiting to get them through. They then do take an online test. Um, I'm not really looking at that test so much for their knowledge as much as their way of thinking. Uh, it's more of a written coding type of test to kind of get the way they think. Uh, we then bring them in uh, to a group interview. Uh, we're, we're a team. Uh, we have to operate like a team. So we bring them in and we, we take them from all different schools and we'll t- take four to six people and put them in a room with a whiteboard and have them problem solve together as a team because uh, we want to see the interaction not that interested in the solution, because um, very seldom does anybody ever write code without Google sitting next to you, but, uh, so I don't really care about that, but what I care about is how are they communicating with one another, uh, because that's one of those key values I think differentiates a local team from an outsource team. Uh, one of the big problems of outsourcing overseas is communication. Some of that's cultural, some of that is, is just the distance. Uh, we need to fix that, and one of the ways we fix that is by really identifying highly communicative
1: people. Once they identify those people, they hire 12 to 15 students who work 15 to 20 hours per week during the school year and 40 hours per week during the summer.
0: So are these students paid or is this a non-paid
1: kind of model? So Shane, in this market you have to pay. The talent is in high demand. So yes, students are compensated and some can earn up to 40 thousand dollars a year as college students. Wow, that
0: is a very incentivizing way for these students to get involved with this company.
1: Absolutely. Students are compensated well, which is part of the hook. Research shows that millennials and Generation Z employees want to be involved. That can be as important as salary. They want to help create and make a difference. And that's what they are doing at EduSource.
2: We organize in teams. Uh, They're they're small teams, usually about uh, three to five people uh, are in a team. Uh, That team is made up of uh, full-time resources. So one to two full-time people uh, that have a computer science degree and have experience on that front. We then uh, augment that with uh, two to to four apprentices that are on that team with them. And the apprentices are building software, they're part of that team. Uh, We do not have a team lead, per se. We have, it's a, it's a team. It truly operates in that way. So apprentice year one comes in and is sitting down next to a senior engineer with 10 years of experience, but if, he ha- if the apprentice has a better uh, idea around how to build this software, they have an equal voice in that room. So those teams are responsible for delivering the product and, and delivering uh, the, the day-to-day deliverables, the tasks that we work on.
1: So now we understand the business model and why it has been so successful for EduSource. Rather than going down what many consider the easy and cost-effective path of outsourcing development projects overseas, this company, quote, EduSourced, and we've seen the results of that. But there's some management tips Jason shared with us that has kept his team productive and motivated.
2: I think Liz Wildman wrote a book called Rookie Smarts, and it's really investing in youth. Uh, it's investing in that, um, in the the non-expert. It's investing in the rookie, uh, and I think the, the one of the main reasons behind that is because there's a lot of innovation in um, ignorance, and when you don't know the way to solve a problem, you create one, and uh, I think from a management standpoint, that's an area that I was not leveraging effectively um, by by allowing the apprentices in the room with the, the senior architect, questions will be asked that that are not dumb, that are actually very insightful, and actually create a much better product. And and innovation comes from that combination, I think, of the the rookie questions and, and the innocence of asking because they don't understand. It creates insight that you wouldn't get by just having an expert in the room.
1: Jason demonstrates two points. First, sometimes you win as a business by doing the opposite of what everybody else is doing. And second, Jason shows us that you get powerful, extraordinary results when you follow good management practices. What you learn in Management 101.
0: It's really, this was an inspiring story here, Phil, to see the fruition of an idea evolve over this time and the way that it is kind of passing on skills and talents and and building the workforce up for the the future generations here. This is a magnificent story and huge payoffs.
1: Absolutely, and it's, it's amazing. EduSource has figured out how to avoid the biggest bottleneck holding tech companies back, talent.
0: Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the ROI podcast. We'd like to give a big thank you to Jason Butler from EdgySource for sharing his story. And of course, you can stream or download the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. And don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. And again, thank you so much to all the listeners out there
1: who've been tuning in week after week. And in our next episode, we will be talking about how the physical workplace of a company can impact production retention, and most importantly, disruptive innovation. We'll see you then.